This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Preparing for and Honoring Temple Covenants. In the first half, we will hear excerpts from Sister Julie B. Beck's address, Unlocking the Door to the Blessings of Abraham. Then in the second half, Elder David A. Bednar gives his remarks entitled, As Long as the World Shall Stand. It is such a privilege for me to speak to you, a royal generation who were chosen before the foundation of the world to come forth at this time to do an important work. I have met many of you during my service in the Church, and I have been so impressed by your brightness and goodness. I can picture you now in your gatherings all over the world, from the United States, Mexico, Brazil, and other countries of South America, to the Philippines, Japan, Korea, and many European countries. I have even seen you arrive at meetings by the truckload in the Dominican Republic. We learn in the Book of Mormon that when the rising generation—that's you— is converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and keep their covenants, then the future is bright for all the Lord's people. But when the rising generation fails to gain testimonies and take hold of their responsibilities, then the older, more faithful people begin to lose heart. Thank you for the fine lives and the bright future you bring to me and to so many others. We are here tonight primarily because we have a testimony of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. Without that testimony, there would be no point in going any further with a message to you. I know that you have a firm belief in our Heavenly Father and in the Savior and in Latter-day Prophets, or you would not have made the effort to attend this meeting. When we know the restored gospel is true, we embrace all of it, and not just the parts that are convenient for us. We believe in the plan of our Heavenly Father and all that the prophets and apostles have taught us. I know that as you participate tonight with an open and prayerful heart, the Spirit will convey to each of you some individualized and important teachings. As I pondered and prayed to the Lord to learn what He would have me say to you tonight, my thoughts went often to my seventy-nine nieces and nephews. I have walked with them sung with them, and I have heard their testimonies. I love them all. I know that each one of them has desires to make a difference for good in the world and to have their lives count for something. Twenty-two of those seventy-nine nieces and nephews are single adults in your age group. Of those twenty-two, eleven of them are currently serving or have served missions, and others are preparing for missions. Some are preparing for marriage. Some have completed school and are searching for their place in the world. All of them have been or are currently furthering their education. This group of nieces and nephews has unique gifts, and among them are those who have had experience with illness, injury, and tragedy. Knowing that in many ways my nieces and nephews are representative of you, I prepared this message with them in mind, and thinking of them, I think of you. Each of you has been, are, or will be in the same places as these nieces and nephews. I have sought inspiration as to how I could be of help to them with some of their questions, and in doing so, I hope that I can also be a help to each of you. I invite all of you to be part of our extended family this evening. I will speak to you as a loving, caring aunt. 
The background for this talk is the story of Abraham and the blessings he received from the Lord. The prophet Abraham experienced the same season of life you are in. We read about it in the Pearl of Great Price. In the land of the Chaldeans, at the residence of my fathers, I, Abraham, saw that it was needful for me to obtain another place of residence. Abraham had approached the time to go out on his own and begin his life as an adult. He said he was a follower of righteousness and desired to possess greater knowledge and to be a father of many nations, a prince of peace. He knew that there was greater happiness and peace and rest for him than he currently had. Abraham sought for those blessings. He actively desired them. The Lord told Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above measure, and I will make thy name great among all nations. And thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. And I will bless them through thy name. For as many as receive this gospel shall be called after thy name, and shall be accounted thy seed, and shall rise up and bless thee as their father. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even life eternal. That covenant was reaffirmed through Joseph Smith to us in section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants. These blessings of greater happiness, peace, and rest are the blessings each of us receive as we make covenants in holy temples and form eternal families. Your patriarchal blessings help you understand your personal lineage to Abraham. Church leaders often talk to young single adults about seeking those blessings. Blessings which can only be found in forming eternal families. Each of you knows that your future happiness, your eternal progress, and the growth of the Lord's kingdom depends on the earth, depends on you forming strong and happy eternal families. As faithful Latter-day Saints of the rising generation, most of you have a testimony of your responsibility to marry and have families. You know that you cannot be full recipients of the blessings of Abraham if you are single. But most of you are not going to get married tomorrow. In fact, most of you have no clue yet whom you will marry. So when we speak about your responsibility to marry, we might be creating feelings of frustration because this important part of your eternal progress is not occurring on your timetable. It reminds me of an experience my husband had while playing on a high school basketball team. They had prepared well and traveled to the gymnasium of the rival team. They were physically ready to beat their opponents. They were in the locker room and had just had a pep talk from their coach. They were bursting with energy and confidence, and as they ran for the door onto the playing field, they found out that the door was locked. (laughs) The ball players plowed into each other against the door. and their energy went flat on the locker room before the game ever started. (laughs) Sometimes I think that is what happens to you when we talk to you about marriage and family. (laughs) We encourage you to get excited about the possibilities. 
But in reality, you may feel that you are pushing up against the locked door. You do not need to live a life of waiting and wondering. You do not need to lose the momentum and enthusiasm which you now have and which the Lord needs from you in order to build His kingdom. So then let's focus on the activities that you can be doing right now. These four activities I'll speak about can be keys which will help you unlock the door to the blessings of Abraham. They are serving others, sharing the gospel, participating in temple and family history work, and preparing for your future. All of these activities invite the Holy Ghost to be your companion. They keep you in the right places, doing the right things with the right people, and set you apart as disciples of Jesus Christ. By participating in these four activities with your peers, you will form friendships and connections and have the sociality that may help you find someone to marry in the temple and create an eternal family. First, let's talk about serving others. The teen and young adult years are usually times of great self-interest. There are so many decisions to make, and it is easy to be turned inward. The first thing I, as a caring aunt, would encourage you to do is forget yourself. You should probably be participating in fewer activities that are meant merely to entertain when you could and should be finding ways to make life a little easier for someone else. The quickest way to find friends, to find happiness, to feel grateful, and to have the companionship of the Spirit is to get on your knees and ask the Lord, Who needs my help today? and then begin helping. Not long ago I watched a movie about two young adult men who lived in England in the 1800s. These men asked the question, Who needs my help? They had witnessed the terrible evil of the slave trade and conceived the idea that they could change the world by eliminating the slave trade. This was the ultimate impossible service project. It would mean they would have to change the entire economy of their country, not to mention the social and ethical codes as well. But these men said, We can do this. They concluded that they were so young they did not know they couldn't do it. It took them some time to finish this project, but they eventually provided this great service to mankind. Today, in every country of this world, there are many important causes that could use your energy and vision. All over the world, cities and parks need to be cleaned up. Schools and orphanages need to be built and staffed with volunteers. Governments need help following correct principles. You have the mental, emotional, and physical strength to do these things. Many important causes in history have been led by young people. You could serve as individuals or prayerfully organize yourselves in your callings with your single adult groups, ward and institute groups, and in your relief societies and priesthood quorums. Together, you would be able to make a difference for good in the world. Most service opportunities are found very close to home within your families and wards. You are now old enough and mature enough to lead out in planning and organizing these types of activities. You also know how to receive answers to prayers to learn what the Lord would have you do. As you look outward, the Spirit will be with you to guide you in all the challenging decisions you are making because the Spirit always accompanies righteous service. 
you will not have any trouble finding places to serve. While you serve with your peers, you will form good friendships and have meaningful social experiences. And because your friendships are expanding, there is an increased likelihood for you to find a spouse and form an eternal family. Second, share the gospel. This world is full of people who do not yet know the good news of the gospel. You are a specially prepared group that can help righteousness and truth sweep the earth. Some of you have had the opportunity to be the first missionaries to use Preach My Gospel. With that in mind, those preparing for missions should be some of the most qualified missionaries the world has ever known. Those who are now preparing for missionaries are better situated than any other generation to be effective from the first day of your mission. Because of your opportunities to this point, you should arrive ready to serve. You should know how to qualify for and receive the help of the Spirit. Also, those who know how to work hard on a daily basis are much happier during their missions. I have enjoyed very much reading letters from missionary nieces and nephews who describe the unique challenges and opportunities of their missions. Their letters overflow with vitality and joy. They write about their missions as if they were experiencing the greatest adventures of their lives. That fire of sharing the gospel must continue after a mission. And of course, you great missionaries would never want to put your gospel-sharing skills on the shelf. Because you are single and do not yet have the responsibility of caring for families, you are the perfectly situated people to continue to share the gospel. Each of you has friends or family members who are not yet converted to the gospel and do not know God as they should. Nearly every ward and branch in the Church has lists of people who, for one reason or another, have stopped coming to renew covenants at sacrament meeting. Your help is essential to bring them back. In your callings, as friends or individually, you can take a more proactive approach to preaching the gospel and thus activating those who may have stopped attending. I saw an example of this type of missionary work when I was a young girl in Brazil where my father was serving as a mission president. A few weeks after one of our Brazilian sisters completed her mission, she told my father that she did not see a gospel family in her future because there were no LDS men in her town to marry. Her mission president said, You have just completed a mission where you taught and converted people to the gospel. Were you a good missionary? Yes, she answered. Do you still have the skills and spirit to share the gospel? Yes, she affirmed. Then I suggest you go back to your town. Go to places where good and worthy young people go. Then look for a man who has the appearance of a missionary or a future bishop. Become his friend. Share the gospel with him and convert him. (laughs) You might find a man to marry if you do this, he said. She met a man in her town who was worthy and good. She did become his friend. She shared the gospel with him, and he was baptized. Later, they developed a deeper love for each other, and they were married in the temple. He did become a bishop and a stake president (laughs) and a mission president and a temple president. Now, I do not suggest that this is a magic formula for finding a husband or wife. 
Please remember, as this Brazilian sister did, the prophets have repeatedly counseled you to seek marriage partners only among those who are worthy members of the Church. I related this story to illustrate that when you continue to share the gospel after your missions, you are likely to find worthy friends with whom you can enjoy the blessings of the gospel, and that those new members could then be part of your potential group of marriage partners. If you were to prayerfully organize yourselves in your callings—single adult groups, ward and institute groups, and in your relief societies and priesthood quorums, you could be planning and carrying out missionary activities under the direction of priesthood leaders. You are now old enough and mature enough to lead out in planning and organizing these types of activities. The Church needs your energy in this important work. Many children of our Heavenly Father need the gospel message and do not yet know the truth. You have the skills and the testimony to share the gospel. You have the skills and the testimony to move the Lord's work forward. You also know how to receive answers to prayers and learn what the Lord would have you do. As you share the gospel, the Spirit will be with you to guide you in all the important decisions you are making, because the Spirit always accompanies us when we teach and testify of the truth. While you share the gospel with your peers, you will form good friendships and have meaningful social experiences. And because your associations and friendships are expanding and the Spirit is working with you, there is an increased likelihood for you to find a spouse and form an eternal family. Third, participate in temple and family history work. You are the perfectly prepared force to participate in temple and family history work. When you were young men and young women, you were given the charge to work on duty to God and personal progress. You remember that those books had the image of the temple on them. That is because the First Presidency has chosen the temple to be the symbol for the youth of the Church. Women, if you earned your medallion, is the temple still a symbol in your life? Are your eyes still on the temple? Men, could you say the same? You know that over the centuries many people have died without knowledge of the gospel. Those people are your near and distant relatives. They are waiting for you to do the necessary research to link your families together and perform saving ordinances on their behalf. Temple and family history work is aided by some knowledge of technology. It is apparent that you are a specially prepared generation with the technological talent to do this work. My grandma Bangader had a deep testimony and feeling of urgency for this work. Many years ago, when she was compiling 25,000 names of her family, she had to enter each name by hand on the forms. She would have been so grateful for a computer to help her be more accurate and efficient. Now she has hundreds of talented young people among her descendants who are capable of assisting her from this side of the veil. Your family needs your help. Your ward and branch needs your help in this important activity. Most of the temples of the world are not busy enough. The Lord has promised to plant in your hearts the promises given to the fathers and that your hearts would be turned to the fathers so that the earth would not be utterly wasted at His coming. Your technical skills are a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. And I hope you are feeling a sense of urgency about this work. 
You were born in this age to do temple and family history work. There are also personal blessings you can receive as a result of participation in temple and family history work. One of these is that you are able to qualify for a recommend, which signifies your worthiness before the Lord. A temple recommend is actually a symbol of obedience. When you participate with your peers in this work, you know they are also worthy. A much-told family story illustrates the importance of a temple recommend. When one of my sisters was a young single adult, she danced one night with a man whom she thought she would like to know better. When she returned home, she told my mother about him. My mother was skeptical and said there was no possible way to know if a man was good just by dancing with him. My sister replied, He has a recommend for the temple, so he must be pretty good. Mother asked, How do you know he has a recommend? Did you ask as you were dancing? (laughs) So, do you have a recommend? (laughs) My sister laughed and said, No, but he said something about having plans to go to the temple tomorrow with a mission companion, and he must have a recommend to do that. Deliberately, my mother asked, Why is it so important to know that? My sister answered, Well, if I know a man has a recommend, I know he keeps the word of wisdom. I know he pays his tithing. I know he attends his meetings. I know he honors his priesthood. I know he sustains the leaders of the Church. And I know he has a testimony of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. When I know a man has a recommend, there are a lot of questions I don't have to ask. I want to start with a recommend as the basis for my relationship with any man and go forward from there. Recent instruction from the First Presidency clarifies the policy for obtaining recommends and receiving endowments. It was reiterated that receiving one's own temple endowment is a serious matter that should be extended only to those who are sufficiently prepared and mature enough to keep the covenants they enter into. Those of you who are not worthy today have the privilege of carrying a recommend should be working with your bishop or branch president to qualify yourselves for a recommend as soon as possible. Please don't be without this vital document. I testify that the Atonement is real and that sins can be forgiven upon proper repentance. You can and should be keeping temples very busy. Temple and family history work is your work. Much depends on you. The Church needs your energy in this important work. You are the ones who can accomplish so much with your energy and skills. As you participate in temple and family history work, you are certain to have the Spirit to comfort you in your challenges and to guide you in all the important decisions you are making. As you participate in this work as individuals, in your ward and institute groups and in your relief societies and priesthood quorums, you will form good friendships and have meaningful social experiences. And because your associations and friendships are expanding and the Spirit is working with you, there is an increased likelihood for you to find a spouse and form an eternal family. Fourth, prepare for your future. You are in a unique season of life. 
You should be preparing for future roles and responsibilities. You only get this season once. Enjoy it. In the natural course of things, most of you will become husbands and wives. You will be fathers and mothers. You will be church leaders and teachers. You will be employees and employers. Are you preparing for those responsibilities? Of course, many of you are involved in education. Latter-day Prophets have repeatedly counseled you to get all the education possible for you. You live in an increasingly technical and sophisticated world. Education will help you build the Lord's kingdom and provide for your future family. Because education is so important for the rising generation, the Perpetual Education Fund was established and now benefits more than 30,000 young people worldwide. The Church has also invested many resources in institutes of religion all over the world and in great Church schools and universities. I hope you are following the prophetic counsel to receive all of the education and training that is possible for you. It is true that you will be better able to serve in the Church and build the Lord's kingdom if you have good employment. Mothers and fathers will be better parents as they are educated and know how to solve family problems and manage their homes in wise ways. Some of you women are deciding now whether you should marry and have a family or choose a career. That's because you are bright and qualified and you have opportunities your grandmothers never dreamed of. The possibilities for earning credentials and making a mark for yourselves on the world stage have never been greater. But I hope you are making your decisions with the blessings of Abraham in mind. Latter-day Saint women should understand that no matter how many other people they enlist to help them with their home and children, they cannot delegate their role as the primary nurturer and teacher of their families. Righteous motherhood will always stretch every reserve one has to meet the needs of their families. As a daughter of God who has made covenants with Him, each of you carries the vital and indispensable female half of the responsibility for fulfilling the Lord's plan. Every man and woman has the agency to prepare humbly and prayerfully and choose how to approach your career opportunities. Every choice has a consequence. You cannot do everything and have everything. You must choose with eternal priorities in mind. I would hope that you will understand that there are no glamorous careers. Every form of employment has its own innate challenges. Many choices available in the world today compete with eternal goals and responsibilities. Many choices could persuade you to delay or limit the number of children you invite into your family. Many choices could rob you of critical time and energy necessary to adequately care for your spouse, your children, and your responsibilities in the Lord's kingdom. These decisions are between you and the Lord. He knows the desires of your heart and your unique situation. Most of you will also be fathers and mothers who will create righteous homes for your families. When I was young, I was taught by my mother that while I was single, I needed to learn how to take care of one life and one room so that I would be prepared to take care of several lives and several rooms. In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord gives a pattern for a spirit-filled home. It should be a house of prayer, a house of fasting, and a house of faith. It should be a house where the Lord's Spirit can abide, where no unclean thing is permitted to enter, 
and a house of learning where there is a study of the best books which includes the scriptures. That inspires the questions, is the home or room where you currently live that kind of house? In your room, do you have prayer? Do you fast? And do you read the scriptures? Do you live in a place of order or clutter? Do you allow unclean things to enter it by way of movies, books, or the internet? Do you fill it with uplifting things, the best things? Is your current home a place where the Spirit of the Lord can abide? Additionally, there are some important skills you should develop that will help you be a good father or mother and make a happy home. These skills could include cooking and cleaning and repairing things that are broken. Wise financial practices are also critical for a happy marriage. This includes careful management of student loans. President Hinckley said there is nothing that will cause greater tension in marriage than grinding debt. Part of your preparation for marriage and family is to employ good financial habits and practices now so that when you marry, you and your spouse can begin your life together without huge financial burdens. You are now regarded as adults, and you know how to hold yourselves accountable. I hope you are making the most of this precious gift of time you have to prepare for your future. When you are preparing adequately for your future roles and responsibilities, you will have the Spirit to guide you in your important decisions. When you are preparing for your future, you are much more likely to form the friendships that will help you find someone to marry in the temple and create an eternal family. Now, my dear nieces and nephews, my extended family, I want to express my love and confidence in you. Much depends on you. You have repeatedly been taught your responsibility to seek the blessings of Abraham, which includes the formation of eternal families. I urge you not to unnecessarily delay marriage and the bearing of children. Even now, valiant spirit children are waiting for you to invite them into a happy, sealed family. You are in the season of life when you should be seeking the blessings of Abraham. Postponing marriage until you have accomplished some other goal, no matter how important the world says it is, only increases your vulnerability to immorality, which could jeopardize your chances of receiving those blessings. Please do not put yourselves at risk for temptation by delaying this natural and important step in your eternal progress. When the decision of whom to marry has been reached, what you need most is faith. Waiting to accomplish other goals, such as getting more education, more money, or more things before marriage, merely delays your promised blessings. I have spoken to you all tonight as an aunt who loves you. I know your own aunts and uncles have probably also given you advice. I am sure your priesthood leaders, teachers, and advisors have taken an interest in your future. I hope that at this important season of your life, you are also listening carefully to the counsel of righteous parents who have eternal responsibility for your welfare. President Monson said, quote, In making a decision as momentous as whom you will marry, I suggest you seek the help of your parents. Take the time to confide in them, for they will not leave you nor forsake you. They love you dearly and want for a precious daughter or stalwart son to be the best in life and the ultimate promises of eternity." 
I have spoken tonight about four keys that could help you unlock the door to those blessings. You can and should be serving others. You can and should be sharing the gospel. You can and should be saviors on Mount Zion by participating in temple and family history work. And you can and should be doing all you can to prepare for your future roles and responsibilities. The four activities I have described will add to your faith and happiness all your life. They are marks of discipleship which will strengthen your future marriages and families and invite the Spirit to be with you. As you participate in these activities as individuals, with your friends, in your quorums, relief societies, and institute groups, you will build sociality and friendships that will help keep you in the right places, doing the right things with the right people, thereby increasing your likelihood to meet people who could be your future marriage partners. I testify that this Church is led by apostles and prophets who oversee and direct the affairs of the Lord in all the world. The restored gospel of Jesus Christ is true. Because it is true, much depends on you, the rising generation. As a loving aunt, I hope you, like Abraham, will be followers of righteousness, that you will seek the blessings of the fathers by making temple covenants and forming eternal families, and thereby find greater knowledge, happiness, peace, and rest. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Preparing for and Honoring Temple Covenants. We've just heard from Sister Julie B. Beck. After the break, we'll return with Elder David A. Bednar for As Long as the World Shall Stand. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Preparing for and Honoring Temple Covenants. Next is Elder David A. Bednar, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled, As Long as the World Shall Stand. I am pleased to bring you the love and blessings of President Russell M. Nelson, President Dallin A. Chokes, President Henry B. Eyring, and all of my associates in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. We love and pray for you, and we appreciate your prayers for us. I do not know the exact number of devotionals like this one that I attended during my years as a student on the BYU campus, but I do know and am grateful for the lasting impact that the messages I heard have had upon my life. I encourage you to take advantage of every opportunity to receive spiritual nourishment from the faithful men and women who are invited to speak in your campus devotionals. I now pray for the companionship, help, and edifying power of the Holy Ghost for all of us as I share my thoughts with you. Today is January the 19th, 2021. Almost exactly 175 years ago, on February the 4th, 1846, Charles Shumway ferried across the Mississippi River 
and started the westward migration of Latter-day Saints from Nauvoo, Illinois. For three weeks in frigid temperatures, wagons ferried across the river, often steering clear of large ice chunks. Then, after Charles C. Rich walked across the frozen Mississippi River on February the 25th, scores of additional refugees crossed the river on solid ice. The winter phase of this mass exodus was directed by President Brigham Young. The well-known Camp of Israel trek across Iowa involving approximately 3,000 saints. The spring phase of the exodus included three large waves of refugees departing Nauvoo and involved more than 10,000 saints, triple the number, in the winter departure. The fall phase of the exodus included about 700 saints who were forced from Nauvoo at gunpoint. The winter withdrawal from Nauvoo, in particular, caused unimaginable hardship for these faithful Latter-day Saints, and many sought shelter in camps along the Mississippi River. When word reached Brigham Young at winter quarters about the condition of these exiles, he immediately sent a letter across the river to Council Point, encouraging the brethren to help, reminding them of the covenant made in the Nauvoo Temple. He counseled, Now is the time for labor. Let the fire of the covenant which you made in the house of the Lord burn in your hearts like flame unquenchable. Within days, wagons were rolling eastward to rescue the struggling saints. What was it that gave those early Church members such strength? What fueled their devotion and enabled them to press forward in overwhelmingly adverse conditions? It was the fire of the temple covenants and ordinances that burned in their hearts. It was their commitment to worship and honorably hold a name and standing in the house of the Lord. President M. Russell Ballard explained, Sometimes we are tempted to let our lives be governed more by convenience than by covenant. It is not always convenient to live gospel standards and stand up for the truth and testify of the Restoration. It usually is not convenient to share the gospel with others. It isn't always convenient to respond to a calling in the Church, especially one that stretches our abilities. Opportunities to serve others in meaningful ways, as we have covenanted to do, rarely come at convenient times. But there is no spiritual power in living by convenience. The power comes as we keep our covenants. As we look at the lives of these early saints, we see that their covenants were the primary force in their lives. In their extremity, these devoted disciples were keenly aware of their dependence upon God and trusted in Him for deliverance. And I believe they understood that sacred covenants and priesthood ordinances received worthily and remembered continually opened the heavenly channels through which we have access to the power of godliness and all of the blessings made available through the Savior's Atonement. And this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest, 
And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Through their faithfulness, those stalwart saints invited the fire of the covenant and the power of godliness into their lives. Strengthened and enabled by that fire and power, they were blessed to trek westward with faith in every footstep. Please note that the eternal importance of temple covenants and ordinances anchored both ends of the Latter-day Saint movement west. In Nauvoo, Brigham Young labored diligently and encouraged the people to finish the temple. He personally worked night and day with members of the Twelve and other temple workers so that worthy saints could receive their temple blessings in Nauvoo before beginning their westward journey. President Young explained, Such has been the anxiety manifested by the saints to receive the ordinances of the temple, and such the anxiety on our part to administer to them, that I have given myself up entirely to the work of the Lord in the temple night and day, not taking more than four hours sleep upon an average per day and going home but once a week. And please remember that one of the first things President Young did upon entering the Salt Lake Valley was to select a site for another temple. Early members like Sarah Rich were blessed to recognize and understand the supernal blessings available in the Lord's Holy House. She described her experience in Iowa in 1846. But many were the blessings we had received in the house of the Lord which has caused us joy and comfort in the midst of all our sorrows and enabled us to have faith in God, knowing He would guide us and sustain us in the unknown journey that lay before us. For if it had not been for the faith and knowledge that was bestowed upon us in that temple by the influence and help of the Spirit of the Lord, our journey would have been like one taking a leap in the dark. To start out on such a journey in the winter, as it were, and in our state of poverty, it would seem like walking into the jaws of death. But we had faith in our Heavenly Father, and we put our trust in Him, feeling that we were His chosen people and had embraced His gospel, and instead of sorrow we felt to rejoice that the day of our deliverance had come. My dear brothers and sisters, sacred covenants— priesthood ordinances, the fire of the covenant, and the power of godliness are central to understanding the breadth, depth, and reach of the migration of Latter-day Saints from Nauvoo to the great Salt Lake Valley. And the lessons learned in Nauvoo and along the trails as the Saints traveled west continue to bless us to this very day. Now, to provide a frame of reference for what I am about to describe— I invite you to do your best to remember where you were and what you were doing between Tuesday, November 10th, and Friday, November 13th, 2020. Important episodes in Church history were occurring on those four days. As the fire of the covenant and the power of godliness were evident in miraculous ways in several temples located in North America. On November the 10th, 2020, government officials in a large jurisdiction 
announced that religious organizations should suspend all public gatherings and meetings. These restrictions were intended to help reduce the spread of COVID-19 and would be in effect for a minimum of three weeks and likely longer. The announcement included a three-day warning that all operations would cease by midnight on Friday, November the 13th. Because the temples had been closed for a period of time earlier in 2020, temple patrons, leaders, and workers were especially disappointed that ordinance work again would be halted. And given that only living ordinances were being performed by individual appointment and with reduced capacity resulting from physical distancing and other safety protocols, scores of members had been waiting patiently for their turn to enter the temple to make sacred covenants through priesthood ordinances. The new restrictions would cause Church members to face yet another heartaching delay of uncertain duration. Temple leaders and workers in one temple prayed earnestly for direction, counseled together, and sought inspiration from heaven. Answers came. The decision was made to keep the temple open around the clock on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to accommodate as many patrons as possible. The doors of the temple would remain open, and the lights would not be turned off until midnight on Friday, the 13th of November. The tasks that needed to be completed seemed absolutely overwhelming. Some patrons would have to be contacted to confirm existing appointments. Other patrons with appointments scheduled after Friday the 13th would need to be informed about the temple closure and offered the opportunity to reschedule. Availability of temple workers would have to be evaluated so the extended hours of operation adequately could be covered. Crews to clean and sanitize the temple interior would need to be arranged. So many things to do and so little time to get them done. The work began. Phone calls were made. Emails were sent. Text messages were delivered and answered. Volunteers were requested and they responded by the dozens. The temple doors opened early Wednesday morning and the lights were not turned off until midnight on Friday. I now want to share with you quotes from eight individuals who were involved in these remarkable experiences. Please excuse the lengthy quotations, but only first-hand descriptions can do justice to the events that occurred. Quote number one. When I started calling patrons Tuesday afternoon, I completely expected to leave messages. Almost everyone answered their phone. To me, this was a miracle. Almost all available time slots were filled in less than a day and a half. Quote number two. Office clerks and secretaries spent countless hours calling patrons affected by the closure to see if they would like to reschedule their appointments. Every time I walked by their desks, they were on the phone. When they hung up, they would have smiles on their faces as they filled the schedule with new appointments for ordinances to be performed throughout the night. I have never seen such dedication as these sisters work so hard to accommodate patrons in the work of the Lord. Quote number three. In every aspect of this experience, the Lord's hand was evident. 
There was miracle after miracle, miracles in scheduling, miracles in obtaining necessary paperwork to have ordinances completed, miracles in having one available appointment time precisely at the only time a patron was able to come. I am convinced that we are only aware of a small portion of that which the Lord did to allow His children the opportunity to receive temple blessings. Quote number four. As I arrived at the temple on Thursday morning around five o'clock, I saw ordinance workers who had served all night still smiling as they served. The most common theme that I heard from the workers was that this felt like Nauvoo when the saints needed to leave but kept coming to the temple to receive their temple ordinances. And just like Nauvoo, I saw sacrifices made by people who love the Lord and who love the temple. One brother stayed at the temple day and night, not going home for three days. His service was invaluable and needed in so many ways. I saw sisters who serve in the office spend countless hours on the phone to reschedule the people desirous to receive their ordinances. I saw older adults walk the halls of the temple after receiving their endowment with huge smiles on their faces. I saw the happy faces of couples sealed in the house of the Lord, grateful they didn't need to wait for the temple to reopen. I saw missionaries come to the temple with their families, ready to be endowed with power from on high before embarking on their missions. I saw guests who had driven all night to attend the temple with her family. I witnessed a beautiful two-year-old girl surrounded by parents, grandparents, and other family members as they prepared to have her sealed to them for all eternity. I saw temple staff and ordinance workers spend countless hours sanitizing the temple, keeping everyone safe during the pandemic. There were ordinance workers who had served all morning who volunteered to come back and work all night. I will never forget the dedication and kindness shown this week in the Lord's house. Quote number five. What is inspiring to me are all the ordinance workers who came in droves at all hours of the day and night to make this happen, along with the engineers, assistant recorders, and especially house cleaning crew, which I believe deserve the greatest praise. What a challenge they must have had. Quote number six. One sister, a convert of one year, received her endowment. She was so full of joy that the warmth and love she brought was felt by everyone. She was accompanied in the temple by her bishop, her Relief Society president, her stake president, by a few other friends, and by the two sister missionaries who taught her, both of whom had since been released from their missions. One of the very few ordinance workers serving in the temple for this session was someone close to the sister, but who did not know of the appointment. When the sister receiving her endowment saw this ordinance worker, she said, I prayed you would be here today. Quote number seven. There are many challenges and experiences we face in life and sometimes wonder if we are or ever do enough. Some of them are once in a lifetime that we read about or hear that someone else has experienced. Serving in the temple during the middle of the night as the Nauvoo pioneers of old was one of those treasured 
once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Our entire shift was in awe of the light that shone in the eyes of the patrons that came and their gratitude, and touched by the sacrifice and the privilege it was for us as workers to serve them in this way. Quote number eight, I have compared my feelings towards receiving my endowment to the early saints who refused to just let the Nauvoo Temple close down before they fled west. They knew and understood the importance of the sacred ordinances that took place inside. I have felt how these pioneers felt. I knew that if I were a saint then, I would have stood outside of the temple waiting to make those eternal covenants. I understood how they felt. I understood the feeling of longing and urgency. I got to be one of those pioneers. I not only had the opportunity to make sacred covenants and receive sacred knowledge and blessings, but I got to be a part of history. I am extremely grateful for the Lord and the miracles and tender mercies He has blessed me with. The Prophet Mormon posed the following powerful questions. Has the day of miracles ceased, or have angels ceased to appear unto the children of men? Or has He withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them? Or will He, so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man upon the face thereof to be saved? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. For it is by faith that miracles are wrought, and it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Occasionally, I am asked by Church members why we do not have mighty miracles today like those that occurred in the early days of the Restoration. And my answer always is the same. We do. The faith-filled events in Nauvoo in February of 1846 and in North America in November of 2020 are stunningly similar. Perhaps such a mighty miracle occurred for the temple secretary and the church member who were able to schedule an appointment in an almost completely filled schedule for the precise and only time that patron was able to come to the temple. The day of miracles has not ceased. Perhaps such a mighty miracle occurred for the recent convert who was delighted to discover in her live endowment session an ordinance worker who was very close to her but who did not know about the appointment. I prayed you would be here today. The day of miracles has not ceased. The mighty miracles in our lives are exactly the same today as they always have been for devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, making sacred covenants with God and receiving worthily priesthood ordinances, the fire of those holy covenants working on and within us, and receiving the power of godliness in our lives as we honor those covenants and walk in all the ordinances of the Lord. The identical spirit that drew Latter-day Saints to the temple in Nauvoo clearly was at work in November of last year, and it is operating today and will continue into the future. The day of miracles has not ceased. 
And I would exhort you, my beloved brethren, that you remember that every good gift cometh of Christ. And I would exhort you, my beloved brethren, that you remember that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that all these gifts of which I have spoken, which are spiritual, never will be done away, even as long as the world shall stand. We are blessed to live and serve in a most remarkable season of the dispensation of the fullness of times. With all the energy of my soul, I testify that no unhallowed hand and no pandemic can keep the Lord's holy work from progressing. And I promise that as you honor your covenants and strive to discern with an eye of faith, your spiritual vision will be magnified and refined to help you learn that the seemingly small miracles in your life will be the mightiest and the most impactful of all. I joyfully witness the divinity and living reality of the Eternal Father and of His only begotten and beloved Son. And I do so in the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Preparing for and Honoring Temple Covenants, with thoughts from Sister Julie B. Beck and Elder David A. Bednar. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.